Will This Be On The Test Teacher Pod is a podcast by, for, and about teachers. It's not a place where we discuss rigor or teaching methods or sell lesson plans. It's simply a safe space for teachers to share their stories, frustrations, and triumphs, and for our listeners to realize, episode after episode, that they're not alone. Will This Be On The Test Teacher Pod is sometimes funny, sometimes disturbing, but always honest. Welcome to Will This Be on the Test Teacher Pod. Two teachers explore the realities of education. This week, we will be talking to Willie Carver, the 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, who has resigned from his teaching assignment in a public high school due to homophobia. I'm Yo Miss. And I'm Miss B. How is everybody doing? We, I'm doing good. Actually, yesterday, you know, we live uh, about half an hour from the beach, you know, the, sh- the, the Jersey Shore, except not, <laughs> not like the show. I think show, I saw Jersey a show, show about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> we don't know those people. But anyway, so there's this one bar slash restaurant there that we really like to go to because they have great cocktails and it like is a, up above and you can see the whole ocean and the beach and they have this drink called the Violetta that is like my favorite it's it's vodka creme de violette and lemon sour i actually have the recipe but i've never made it so yesterday we went to our place and had our (laughs) first violetta since last year and it was delicious it was delightful shout out to watermark at asbury park it was awesome so long time listeners no doubt yeah i'm sure all the time (laughs) that's awesome and how you doing i'm good since we last talked, we, it, we've had a 4th of July weekend mm-hmm. and my husband took my nine-year-old to the air show because that he grew up in Texas. So what mm. you do in Texas is you go to the air show and I am not an air show person because I don't like loud noises and <laughs> I feel like there's a very high likelihood the planes will crash on me because I have <laughs> seen a video somewhere where it happened. And also oh. I feel, I don't know. I don't like them. So he's been wanting to go for years and years. And I'm always like, Oh, it's going to be so hot and there's going to be crowds and we'll see. But this year he was like going. And mm-hmm. so he and the nine-year-old went, it worked out perfect. I had graduation open houses to go to. So I had an out. They were there like maybe 15 minutes and there was an accident (gasps) and it was on the national news. It actually wasn't a plane, but it was a semi that has a jet engine and it jet your face is how I feel about air shows. (laughs) (laughs) And they have a name. This it's a family. They've been doing it forever. And they travel around at the air shows and they race the plane, a plane as part of the show. And this truck plane hybrid can get up to like 400 miles an hour or maybe 300. <laughs> but nonetheless, it shoots fire like out of the top and the back. And then it part of the show is the planes are swirling up and then they come and like race it, quote unquote. But that was happening. And then something went wrong with the truck and it like rolled and the driver died. Wow. Fire, debris. And I was like, this See? is why we don't. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. It wasn't funny. Thankfully, they were far enough back that my, because it was on the ground, obviously, it wasn't a flying semi. And my son couldn't really see 
down. They were looking up at the planes, but the show was canceled, of course. And see, this is what happens when you grow up in like the middle of the country or out there. Like <laughs> growing up in Brooklyn, we didn't need people to create these kinds of things. We had crime. It was just, you know, who's getting who's who's threatening whom? Who's going to end up, you know, uh you didn't have to create your own danger. No, no, danger lurked at every corner. <laughs> You know, it was, and actually July 4th was always a a treat because what used to happen in my neighborhood is that the police officers, God bless them, used to confiscate people's, people's fireworks because they were illegal and give them to their own children. So if you were friends with a cop's kid, you had the absolute best time because they had everything. But yeah, we didn't like, they didn't invent danger. It was just there. that. I certainly don't mean to take away from the tragedy. He was like a 40 year old guy. He had two kids. I mean, that's horrible. But I did feel like, in my personal opinion, it's an unfairly unfortunate way to die because we don't need to drive semi trucks with jet engine, jet engines, in my personal opinion. And so, like Chris said, he just did a little lap around like shooting flames and revving. And he was like, and they went up close for that. And they were like, wow, cool. And that's all he thought it was. (laughs) And so clearly the people would be happy with just revving of an engine. (laughs) That's true. The firework thing is funny because growing up in the country, they're mostly annoying that everybody Mm. shoots at fireworks, but we're all so spaced out that the biggest thing I worry about is like someone will set my field on fire. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. For you being in the city, I feel like that's very dicey having your neighbors shooting fireworks when you live so close to people. Yeah, it was. I mean, here it's not so bad because we're in the suburbs and they tend to, you know, people tend to more go to fireworks as opposed to having their own. But yeah, there there were definitely accidents. And then, you know, and then there was my mother who you know, every year, same thing. Like, don't go near them. You're going to lose your thumb. I know a kid who lost his whole hand. No, she didn't. She didn't know anybody who lost their whole hand. She just felt the need to say this so that we would like be like, oh my God. And then, you know, my, my brother's five years older than I am. And of course he would come home and be like, yeah, we were shooting off Roman candles. Oh my God, you could lose a hand. I still don't know who this handless person was that, <laughs> that she referred to, but well, There's I'm a gl- young adult lit book. Fo- is it follow my leader? The guy, the kid, a firework accident renders him blind. There you go. Mike is about him bonding with his seeing eye dog. I forgot to tell you that my mother was an author. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) That was the book she wrote. (laughs) She wrote that. Oh, you're going to lose a hand. You know, it's okay. Well, we are going to get to our guest now, who's now sitting here saying, why am I on this podcast? Oh, my God. Why did I reply to that? Why did I say I would do this? Our guest today, we are thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to have Willie Carver as our guest, or actually it's Willie Carver Jr. officially, I believe. And as I mentioned in our intro, Willie is the 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year and has uh, is going to tell us all about his career. I'm not going to go through his resume right now because he's going to tell us, but he recently resigned. And those of you who are listeners and listen to our our two episode arc with uh, Brett Bigham, who was the Oregon Teacher of the Year, I believe in 2014. This is a similar story. Also, before we go on, I just want to thank our listener. You know who you are, who actually sent me 
this article about Willie to say, look, it happened again. And thank you, because that's what led to this. So hi, Willie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for that great introduction. And I'm also friends with Brett and he's he's wonderful. Oh, he is. And I'm also friends with the Michigan 2022 Teacher of the Year, Leah Porter. And she was supposed to be in some form of air show this year. And when she told us that they were going to, I was like, they're going to put you in a jet. I would quit immediately. <laughs> and she was like really nervous. And I'm like, I'm not joking. I don't care if they were like, here's $500,000. I'm not getting you one of those. It is, the thought makes me want to faint. Yeah, so, me too. I don't even want to watch it, let alone be in a jet. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I do not want to be in You'll have to follow up and find out if she did it or not. So, Willie, tell us, tell us your story. Tell us all about what I might be to be a teacher and all of that. I don't know how to start. Start at the yeah, beginning. At the what beginning. what led um, you to want to become a teacher? When did you become a teacher? What did sure. you teach? So I grew up in Eastern Kentucky. So that's sort of the Appalachian mountainy part. I actually had a much, I would say better accent back when I was a kid. Uh, Cause it's slow. Cause I've lived everywhere now and it's sort of fallen away. No, it has Although not. No, trust me, trust me. You're hearing just regular old Southern, but like Appalachian accents are beautiful. So anyway, school was in an otherwise hostile world. A lot of people around me on drugs, a lot of people around me who did not have the basics in life. School was a safe place and a warm place. School was a place where I was reassured daily that I was worthy, both by people who were looking at me and telling me and people behind the scenes that I didn't know about until years later who were doing the same thing. So I don't think there was ever any doubt that I was going to be a teacher. It is written in my DNA, like chromosome one, like you will teach. So I can't remember ever not wanting to be a teacher, but you know, I'm also gay. And I mean, I, I remember my dad was a truck driver. I have a very clear memory of reading a newspaper when I was like 13 in Georgia, where a man had just been arrested for being engaged. And I think they called it engaged in homosexual behavior. And I just remember thinking like, God, life is going to be really hard because even then I knew. And so I stuck with it. I had great teachers who's, who kept telling me like, hey, maybe you can change the world. Maybe it doesn't have to be so scary. And graduated with a degree in French education. My first job teaching was actually in France. Um, I taught English in the north of France. And it was lovely. The best thing about it was I found myself in this part of France where they had these really strong regional accents. There was lots of poverty. And I was like, I've got this. I, <laughs> I understand. And I've, I've so many memories that stand out. One that really, like I've revisited all the time. I was on, a, I think we were going to England on like the underground whatever thing. I'm terrible the French teacher, clearly. The, the, the tunnel. Thing, the tunnel. Uh, yeah, yeah, the tunnel. And so... um you can actually get off the buses. So one of my kids had to go to the bathrooms and I was like, it's just right down here. And he was like terrified to go. And I was like, why? And he said, because they made fun of me. I'm like, who made fun of you? And so there were some kids from Paris who had like heard him speaking with his friends. And like, I became so protective. Like I walked them down. I'm like literally standing in front of my kids, like walking them to the bathroom. And so I realized a lot from that first experience, like education isn't just, it isn't even just all the things that sort of sound miraculous, like lifting someone up and helping them. Like it is sometimes quite literally physically protecting, right? It is sometimes mm -hmm. quite literally meeting the most basic needs that they might not otherwise get met. So from there, I taught university for a while. 
And again, I have one of those revelations. I, was, I don't want to offend anyone in my uh, class, but I just remember sitting in a graduate level course uh, with people on a PhD track and kind of looking around the room and thinking, my sister, who was a high school graduate uh, who didn't go to undergrad, is smarter than everyone in this room. <laughs> my sister is smarter than the professor. So why isn't she in this room? What, what, what circumstances put these people in this room? who maybe deserved to be in the room, maybe didn't. But if we're going on what someone's capable of, my sister should have been here before I was. And that's when I decided to be a public school teacher. That's pretty much how I got into teaching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then from there, taught in Kentucky. It was really, really rough at first. So we moved to Vermont. (laughs) Vermont's lovely. It's beautiful. (laughs) I'm Southern. I'm Southern. (laughs) So then we moved back to the same school. Okay. All right. And you were teaching French in, in Kentucky or? Yeah, French. So French and English. I could never decide between the two. So I just got certified in as much stuff as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. The first year in Kentucky or second, I don't mean, it blurs. <laughs> and my ADHD makes it impossible for me to remember years and stuff. Uh, <laughs> just- Yay. I, since I retired, I've become an ADHD life coach. So I love people with ADHD. Oh, so you get like the. <laughs> I get I, I, it. I, I've got the emotion, the, every Seven. fact except the day. Oh, we'll talk. <laughs> yeah. My, it's actually a running joke with my husband. He's like, every article I read about you, you're a different age. And I'm like, I always tell them I'm not sure. And please look it up. I can't do that math. But sometimes I'm 37, sometimes I'm 39. I don't really know. Go lower. Uh, Always go lower. Yeah. That's part of your mystery. No one will know. (laughs) So the what I do know is I was finishing my master's in teaching at the time. And that is actually what led to the the licensing. So it was my first real position as far as I'm concerned. But there's a caveat in Kentucky. You have to have your administration sign off to get your license. So your first year at the end of a master's in teaching counts as basically one large student teaching. And so the signing off is effectively stating this person is capable, is moral, is all the things you're supposed to be. And before school started at this new school, an administrator pulled me into an office and said, you're openly gay. And at that stage of my life, I've been openly gay for a very long time. Did you say what? (laughs) I should have said it in French. Little old me? (laughs) (laughs) So I said, yes. And she, this person, I don't know how to take it to this day. To some extent, I was thankful. But the person sort of said, you will be crucified by this community. And no one will protect you. And I will not protect you. Wow. It was a really heavy moment. What year was this? Probably 2000. Nine, two thousand ten, around that time. Wow. So much later than you would expect. Uh, yes. Yeah. So not nineteen fifty. Right. <laughs> right. Or, or even nineteen ninety. Right. Know. Right. Yeah. So at the time, I actually had chosen this particular district because it was fairly close to a larger city in Kentucky that had a gay mayor. So I thought maybe this, maybe it's like the Vermont, New Hampshire effect, like being really close to somewhere liberal sometimes pushes conservatives Mm -hmm, out. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was the only year of my life I was closeted because it wasn't just an example of I choose something. It was, I'm not going to get to be a teacher. I'm not going to get a sign off on this. And I heard lots of horror stories from the year before because of a gay character in a book that led to lots of controversy. 
led to people resigning, led to books being pulled out of every teacher's classroom. It was a whole mess that I can't give too many specifics on because literally no one will talk about it, only that it happened and that people were scared for me. So I gained like 70 pounds. I didn't go outside with my husband. We wouldn't go to the grocery store together. It was miserable. That's horrible. So that's why we fled to Vermont. We didn't have jobs. We were just like, we'll make this work. Like we will jump and assume the universe will catch us because we can't live here anymore. Mm -hmm. So it was all the more ironic that I got a phone call. So we had been in Vermont for two years. We tried to make it work. And I think for people who aren't attached to physical location, it can be complicated to hear. But I just, I think I always wanted to serve and specifically to serve people who I knew best how to serve. And that's people who are rural, who are Southern, who Mm. are good, decent people as a general rule, who might have some misguided concepts, but who can be so much more than the visions of themselves they see. And that's my vision of education. I see any person in front of me and I think, what can you be? What, what is the potential here? And then how can I get it to you? I'm just, I'm a resource director of potentiality. And so we get a phone call from a new principal at the same school who says, Hey, I heard what happened to you. I would love for you to come back. I would love to facilitate that. And I said, listen, I don't need a gay pride parade. Just, I'm going to be the gay teacher. Like it's, I'm the big gay French teacher. And if you want that, fine. If not, I can't come back. And mm-hmm. so he said, you know, we don't need to give you a gay pride parade, but yes, that, those are the terms that, that we want you on. So the first few years were kind of great. I built solid programs, redid curriculum, really moved quickly into all aspects of the school that I could get a hold of because I wanted to, I, what I, I've, I've slowly realized that my approach to teaching is my approach to everything. So I look at the system and say, hey, how can we make it better? What's the potential? Mm-hmm. And then administrations change and they change and they change because school is very hectic. Uh, K through 12 is very hectic. Mm-hmm. And so soon I found myself in a much more hostile place. So and please stop me and ask more questions if I'm talking too much. No, no, no. We, we will. We will. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> I would make a New Jersey joke. Of course you will. <laughs> <laughs> you can joke about New Jersey all oh, you please. want because I'm what not, I, I honestly, I'm not from here. So. Oh, no. I'm uh, from my, Brooklyn. Oh. So, oh, okay. Well, my, so my, you don't uh, want to joke about that, my friend. <laughs> my, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we moved back to that same town and things are kind of going great. And then they slow, uh, my students, they, they, I have I always, any initiative they want, I support whatever their ideas are. So mm-hmm. first they had this club called happy club. I was so excited to support these kids. Cause they had this idea. Like, what if we just did random goofy things? So I'm like, done, let's do it. Let me, how can I help? What, what, where can I sign up? Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day, like two kids were talking kind of seriously and they were like, this club is fine, but like, it doesn't solve the problems. Like this is the medicine club. Like, can we have the doctor club? Can we have a club that really starts to like, look at why everyone's unhappy and trying to fix these things. So I'm like, yes, let's do this. How can I help? So they form a club called Open Life. And the purpose of the club was really to work on systemic change. These are 14 and 15-year-old kids who are like, they're so committed to changing the world. And that's what makes me so furious when I see people who try to stop them. Mm -hmm. So I applauded them. I cheerleaded them. I said, you know, let's do this. And a couple, and the whole concept at first was as many perspectives as we can get. Like, come ye all. 
and quickly we realized, okay, this is an LGBTQ group. Like everyone in it is uh, an ally or LGBTQ. There was no space like that that existed. And so the kids said, can we, can we change it? Can we make it part of the name? And I'm ashamed of the fact that the first year I kind of was nervous because I thought I will end up fired if this happens. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, then let me, let, let me get fired. Mm -hmm. if I get fired for this, because why am I here in the first place? If I'm going to tell kids that if I'm going to limit their potential, then why am I even doing it? So I said, let's do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they changed the name to an LGBTQ affirming group. And the amazing thing is it grew tremendously when they chose to do this, to put it in the name, to sort of be open to like 40 people Nice in a school of maybe 1200 in rural Kentucky. And they, they've done great things. They've raised money for mental health. They've talked to nationally renowned historians. We actually had invited one to the school and then COVID sort of um, stopped all that in its tracks. They've always sort of made it a point to respect LGBTQ people in our school and to create space for them. And that's when the pushback sort of really started to happen for me. I was suddenly, I was very suspect. Suddenly I found myself in meeting after meeting after meeting. Anytime these kids breathe, I had the silliest things be treated uh, seriously. I had a quiz with a Dolly Parton quote, kid you not. It was, I taught English 100 and 200. So these are college level courses. Mm-hmm. And in the court, uh, in one of the quizzes, we had just left a unit on morality. So we'd read lots of big names. And so what I did was I would give people a random quote and they would have to choose who said this. Was this Thoreau or Dolly Parton? Who said this? Was this <laughs> Moliere or Dolly Parton? But the thing is, Dolly Parton's really smart. So yeah, it's actually, a, it was a tough quiz that really made them have to think about the overall thesis of each of these people we had read. I'm not joking. The, the final quote was, uh, it's a good thing I was born a man or I'd have been a drag queen. This is a college level course. For 18-year-olds, I had to sit through three separate meetings with administration over this because it was so horrifically offensive, I suppose. And it would be laughable, except I'm thinking, am I going to lose my house? Am I going to lose my job over a quote? And as far as I'm concerned, it's intimidation. It's a way of saying, if we pick at every small thing, you will back down. No one ever said that to me again. This is how my I'm interpreting this, this sort of behavior. Little things over the years, and it's not just me, lots of LGBTQ teachers at the school I was at have reported similar things. I don't know. Uh, my students took a test called the stamp test in French. We like this. It, it, it's an assessment that looks at speaking, writing, listening, reading, and you can actually take those tests and translate them into college credit. A lot of colleges will take those and then decide how many hours that it, that it equates to. So again, this is French too in a rural Kentucky high school, and 97% of my students are demonstrating two semesters worth of college credit. So I was so excited and so happy. And then suddenly the phone call comes, oh, you're not allowed to get this test anymore. And I am never given a justification. Other people give tests, other people charge for tests, but suddenly I'm not allowed to. It's really hard to point to these sorts of things because there's no direct connection, if that makes sense. I wrote a textbook during COVID. 
literally my kids took all the books and I said, oh, we'll see each other in two weeks. And we all know what happened. Yeah. So I yeah. thought, yeah. this is it. We have no budget. We bought these books in the 1980s and no one's ever, <laughs> or maybe 90s, and they've never been replaced. So I mm-hmm. called, actually, the friend whose house I'm filming this from, she and I spoke and I said, well, we've always talked about potentially writing a book together. Let's do it. So she bubbled with me and we literally wrote two textbooks, two 400 page textbooks for free. That was the idea. Like this is our gift as a thank you for us getting vaccinations as a thank you, because it's been such a difficult year. Like we want to go give free textbooks to students. I called around, I got funding. I made no money off this enterprise, none. Mm -hmm. Even the the printing of the textbooks, we we, we set the margins to zero so that we couldn't make any money. It was just a gift. I was not even allowed to give these books to my students. Wow. So the NBC um, article that we have kind of bounced back and forth, you described it as death by a thousand cuts. And Mm -hmm. I think even in my experience of being a GSA advisor, the last, this last year, suddenly it became every way I looked, something was wrong or a kid in my group had done something. And now suddenly that was a reflection of the GSA and to a far lesser extent than what you're describing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that phrase is so perfect for what I think many, that's the the game plan that a lot of administrators use. So then it's hard for you to say, you know, you say to someone like, I'm so miserable or this is happening. And they say like, well, what's going on? And it's like, you can't just say this. It's yeah. like, well, because each incident alone isn't, it doesn't look like anything, mm-hmm. but then they just accumulate and accumulate. Yes. And we need words for it because some people are like, oh, this is a microaggression. But it, the difference is often microaggressions happen because the oppressor isn't thinking about what they're doing. And so they're doing things. What I'm talking about are someone very aware of what they're doing, using the system to harm. And this was all before the last year, which was horrific, which led to not just me, but another teacher at my school also resigning. Let me just ask a question here. Was the pushback coming from like from the administration? I mean, I know they were the ones ultimately pushing back, but was it their desire to do that? Was it coming from parents? Was it the community? Where do you think it was coming from? What I would say is if I could count the total number of community members who brought complaint in any form, I could probably count them all on one hand Okay. over the years. I think... Probably the few people were very vocal. That's sort of the irony in all of this is that I have great relationships with parents. Um, Parents came. So this last year, for example, is when things just sort of went overboard. And in that particular case, it was one person. One person had the in a community had the power to affect that much change. And I think it's because it protects the status quo. And of course, like you said, whether it's one or five, it's the responsive administration that Mm -hmm. really matters the most. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So now this starts happening, but then you are named in September, the Kentucky teacher of the year. So explain how that. So every state does a different process. And I, I got a nomination for it. So I think at this point, I've been teaching for 13 years. And I do not want to downplay how sincerely thankful I am for whoever made that nomination. It would have had to have been a colleague or a student. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they don't release to us who nominates us because uh, there are too many. 
2,000 nominations or something. So I get the nomination and I think, yeah, they're going to pick the the gay Appalachian teacher. Uh, they'll be more <laughs> likely to pick, I don't know, Mickey Mouse. I'm just like, you know what? Sure. Do you want a gay Appalachian teacher? I will make that. So my application was really, um, I didn't write it in essay format or anything. I just sort of spoke in story. Uh, and I, I told the story of my students. I really tried to highlight them as much as I could because I thought if I'm anything, a good teacher should disappear. That's, that's sort of our role. A good mm-hmm. teacher is making sure that the students are seen. So that's that's what the application was. I did not control my grammar. I let it be as Appalachian as I wanted to be. <laughs> and then let it go. <laughs> so I was actually going to New Orleans uh, last summer, I think. And I get an email that says, you've been selected as the Valvoline something, something, something. And I delete it. <laughs> it just looks like spam. So I get it three or four times and delete it three or four times. And uh, it was it was actually well after vacation when I get this phone call from the Department of Education at school, and they say, "Are you going to respond to us?" And I go, "About what?" <laughs> and this is when I find out, "Oh, yeah, I'm in the top twenty, and then that became the top four. And every single step, I thought, "Yeah, right. Uh, this is not going to happen. I don't know what magic is putting me in this top four. What good optics? I've got these pretty little rainbow classes." And then they named me 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, and the reason. The reason I cried, the reason it was so difficult is the very things that Andy Bashir, the governor of Kentucky, referenced when he talked about me are the things that I have gotten so much hell for. My textbook, my GSA, my advocacy for students. My students actually did a, a school climate survey that they modeled after the Kentucky School Climate Survey. They talked to researchers at the University of Kentucky that worked so hard because they just kept saying we're so miserable and they wanted help. And the school, they, they, they made a presentation to the English department and said, could you just share this as an optional survey? They were really just wanting to look at how students at the school felt so mm-hmm. that they could advocate for themselves with some data. And the school literally shut it down. It was, I was told that we were shoving gay stuff down people's throats And it was really hard to see myself in two different roles. I am meeting the president and smiling at people and giving optimistic speeches. And at the same time, I felt like my role at the school was to try to find a way to take the shittiness of the world and translate it into a way to tell the students what's happening without Mm -hmm. being political, right? Because I'm, I'm not supposed to say the truth, which is I know why this was, but I just have to say, hey, teachers are now no longer allowed to share your kids aren't stupid um so even when you say it in very neutral terms they understand what's happening and i grew tired of seeing these kids have their heart broken day after day Mm -hmm. i began speaking a lot in the state so again i was not chosen by my school (laughs) i don't think i would have gotten teacher of the hour (laughs) of the hallway Uh, but across the state and i don't i do not think this is endemic to kentucky I've met so many wonderful Kentucky teachers who are really advocating for their students and trying, but what I've met are student after student, after student, after student. And it starts to feel like an impossible job who keep telling me these stories of what's happening at their schools, who write me out of the blue and tell me, can you help me? And the question starts to become, can I help you? What can I do when I'm a a poor parole? And so the weight of that was really heavy. The, uh, I had a tweet that went viral in April. I've only been on social media for like five months, so I barely know how Twitter works. <laughs> I just know, I, I just know, I, 
I took a nap and woke up and there were 65,000 responses. Wow. Wow. Never, I'm That's sorry. That's never happened to me. <laughs> it never happened to me since. Um, but I was so tired. And my, a colleague of mine who is queer called me this morning. So I had just gotten to DC and I had these beautiful dreams hey, I'm in Washington, D.C., completely alone. I'm going to go to a spa. I am going to have a calm and peaceful day. And then I get this tweet or this message from a friend who says, well, I've been suspended for two weeks. This is the only other LGBTQ person in the department for having a TikTok on my personal TikTok account in which I say the F word. And I'm like, you're kidding? But I'm not kidding. It was, it was again, another cut. Right. Um, yeah. So a two week suspension over this. And I just thought, yeah, how, how do I let these kids see me shake the hand of the president when I feel like I'm lying to them? How do I exist in these, these two spaces at once? And the one space, if I say the wrong word, I might find myself suspended for two weeks. But on the other hand, I get to shake the hand of the president. So that was, I re- that was the tipping point. Uh, and it just so happened that Education Weekly wanted to talk to me. And before mm-hmm. that point, I hadn't really spoken up at all. And that was the first time I just really said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to go back to the classroom because I'm afraid of what it's going to do to my mental health. And I'm afraid of what it means. And so that's sort of where I had been until the community attack started. I think just to interject, two things that stand out to me. One is how there are so many similarities in your story to Brett's um, from Oregon. This, the, just the insanity of, like you said, literally doing these engagements, going to the white house. I mean, doing these, being on this amazing platform where people are hearing your words, but then the treatment in your own district, which Mm -hmm. he, you know, in community, which he also talked a lot about that's, I don't know for, I think though, for many of us who teach, it's not hard to fathom at all. Mm -hmm. Like I can, I think like, yeah, that sounds totally right. But how just insane and stressful that must be. And then also really resonated with you talking about how you want to be there for the kids. You know, they're telling you these stories and obviously you're in it for the kids. And so we want to hear these stories, but then there's only so much we can carry too. Mm-hmm. And so to, to hear that, to, and then to be literally being like banned by the system, like right in the face, like at the same time. I mean, I just think, I feel like I've felt pieces of that in a much smaller scale mm-hmm. on my time. And so I just can't imagine like the stakes of all of it because everything was like on this big state or national level that you were kind of dealing with these two worlds. It's wild. Brett's actually been really helpful to me to, to navigate this. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest parts for me are the people who want to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like even right now I'm hearing it, but I'm like, I know so many people who, who are experiencing such worse things who are afraid for me even to say these things out loud for fear that they're going to lose yeah. their jobs because they're trying to protect kids from the spot that they're in and the guilt of someone caring about me. And I'm like, no, please. But I can't even, I, I can't even point you to the person to care about because right. I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want to harm them. Uh, and then, you know, obviously yeah. the kids are what we should be caring about the most um, because that's what everyone's trying to do. That's sort of what's causing this. But I found disturbing also though, even though there's so much similarity in the stories, we're, we're talking eight years later. Yeah. 
So in the end, you say, okay, well, they, you know, they, the Supreme Court came out with this ruling, you know, this was back then, not mm-hmm. today's Supreme Court. And, you know, and isn't everything great? And we're going forward. And here we are. Yeah. And that that's yeah. just so disturbing to me. And, 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 and that's the, so there's the, there's the sort of personal weight of your life, the weight of your students' lives. And then the geopolitics of it all, the national politics of it all, mm-hmm. and how, how that sort of weighs down, and the weight of your your area. So a week before I met the president, a week before my friend was suspended, at, at least another teacher in Kentucky wrote an inclusive message on his board: "You are free to be yourself with me. You matter." And this teacher colored them in really festive, bright ways. I've heard about this. Yeah, that I saw heard that in the news as well. Students put flags all over it. This teacher received death threats. Mm-hmm. I was so worried because I knew this was a young teacher that I actually stepped in to some community spaces and said, hey, what's happening? Can some people talk? And people were telling me, oh, there are lots of death threats. I, I was like, can you show me? And then I've received dozens and dozens and dozens of people threatening to do horrific things. So I had to call him and say, are you aware? And he wasn't aware. And despite the fact, because he was trying to stay away from social media. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So despite the fact that all this was happening, uh, an administrator at his school received an email from a parent that who who was upset over the message on this board. And the administrator responded and said, there's an investigation underway. This is entirely inappropriate. Feel free to to share my response. An investigation, fine. What bothers me is that in the midst of death threats, an administrator says, share my response, in which I Mm. agree that this is inappropriate. Again, why are you saying it's inappropriate for the middle of an investigation? And again, for me, what's the investigation even over? But it was so dangerous for for a voice of authority to say something like that. And, And so all of that is sort of the context of when I get to meet Brett, and this is how on the nose he is. He says, be aware, you're a bigger name. People are going to start recognizing you and thinking about you. Do not be surprised if some crazies in your community start coming to attack you. This is what they do. This is what they did to me. They're probably going to be fed by larger organizations to do it. Yeah. And so I am not joking. This is our first phone call because he's like, hey, I'm just checking in on you, the person I don't know, because he's that kind of person. And Before we hang up, I get a message from actually the parent of a student who says, hey, you should know about this. And so there's an insane person, one single person in my community who has started making up, just inventing these random things about the GSA at school, suggesting that it's a grooming group, suggesting that somehow it's a feeder group into a cult. She, this person starts doxing my ex-students, sharing images from their social media, their pictures, their faces, does this for me, starts inventing quotes, making it look as if I'm saying things and puts quotation marks around it, things that I've never said. I've never met this person. Oh my God. And the crux of this argument is that somehow we are teaching the kids anything about gender or sexuality. The irony is I've never once taught a group. I've never once, the kids completely run this group. Mm -hmm. And that's how I wanted it to be. 
Um, not that I think there would have been anything wrong for us to discuss gender identity, for example, right. but that didn't even happen. It's not really a GSA in the, in the strict sense, but this person starts going to board meetings, saying the same sort of things. And three times I ask administration to please do something. There's so many things they could have done. And, and I, I say my students are afraid. Parents are also emailing because they CC me and saying that they're afraid. Uh, one wrote in all caps, do something. And no one would do anything. When I think about just the easiest response, we, there's a bass fishing club at school. I don't think I've ever gone a week without hearing about what the bass fishing club does. And great. I'm glad there's a bass fishing club. I'm glad that they're <laughs> evidently the best club on planet earth and that there's Facebook posts about them every 20 minutes. My group has never had a Facebook post. My group has never been in an email. So there were so many ways we could have reset that narrative without even having to say that they're picking a side, not that there should be a side, but no one was doing anything. And it occurred to me when, when I even said multiple times, I'm afraid we got lots of new technology to monitor our surroundings, frankly, in our home. Mm -hmm. I don't feel safe anymore because of the, how ugly these lies are that this person I've never met is saying. And the response from the administrator I was asking help for was, well, I don't, if anyone ever feels afraid, they should call the police. That was it. And so wow. I kept thinking, it's, it's weird that here we are a decade later and that first week of school in this same building when that administrator said, you will be crucified and no one will protect you. And here we are, right? And the weight of that, the weight of seeing it happen to other employees, the weight of seeing it happen to the person I described earlier, all of it just made me feel as if, if I even go back, all I'm going to do is fight a million fights, put out a million fires, not accomplish what I want to accomplish and be incredibly unhappy. And I don't think that's what my students need to see. And I also think at some point in my life, before I'm dead, I would like to have some sort of career and, or just, I want to be engaged in the work of life in which the people who are watching me and advising me and supervising me are engaged in the same things that I'm engaged in. I want to contribute and not fight. And so that's why I made the decision to leave. And the funny thing, I guess it's funny, is I had no intention of this big a story. I actually... Some of the other things, yes, I wanted to talk about those things, some of the op-eds I've written over uh, the last year. But this thing, I just thought, I'm going to quietly make a Facebook post to my friends, set it to friend, and it mm. didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was out there pretty yeah, quick, too. It was out there really fast. Really, really fast. Wow. So there are so many pieces of this that at an obviously much smaller scale, I feel like I saw in my experience, which I think only speaks to for teachers listening, this isn't an isolated case. You know, you aren't this one person who had that happened to have this one awful parent and these happen to be, I mean, this, I think people who do this work in public schools can tell you nationwide, there are these sort of subtle and not so subtle elements going on. And I think with social media, it could just spread like wildfire. I mean, I had a pride flag in my class and my third grade son's name teacher classroom attached to my name was on social media. 
And my district pretty much said the same thing. Like, well, if you think that's a problem, call the police. Mm-hmm. And, and because it's just that quick on social media and then you can't control who has screened. You can, they can mm-hmm. take it down, but it's our, someone took a screenshot. Mm-hmm. Who knows who's already shared. I mean, it's just, it's out there. Yeah. And I'll tell you before any of our listeners or anybody says, well, that's the South and that would never happen. I can tell you two things. One is that I know someone who runs her GSA in a suburb of New York City and has had similar lack of support from her administration and and not just administration, but also from staff members as well. So that's one thing. And the other thing, and this is happening right here in New Jersey, there are groups of parents, and I've seen this on Facebook, groups of parents who are banding together and what they're going to do is monitor the social media of teachers. So, you know, because all these warnings are going out on all our union sites to like, you know, lock your your stuff down, you know, and that's happening in the Northeast. So it's not just a Southern phenomenon at all. Just two weeks ago, I spoke to some students in a very, very liberal place in the Northeast. It, it was a school for students who are LGBTQ in New York City, if I can say that. And the students repeatedly said that the reason they were at this school was because of how homophobic the previous situations that they were in, in that same city were. Mm-hmm. The only time I've ever had anyone make any violent threat against me in a school was in Vermont. Wow. So it is <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that was the surprising thing with Brett when he first we first saw that he was from Oregon. We're like, what? Yeah. You know, we were, we were like, there is no safe place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, I I was happily teaching in these conditions because, and this is this is sort of part of the awakening for me. Mm-hmm. It's why do we accept this? Why do we accept? Two memories I have: 1999, working in a McDonald's in rural Eastern Kentucky, and mm-hmm. a man came in, and I tried to take his order, and he used a slur, and he said, "I don't want you making it." And then he pointed to two coworkers who were also gay in the back, who were visibly, I guess, gay to him, and he said, "And I don't want them touching it either." And my manager stuck up for us, walked over, and said, "The issue isn't that we don't." or that you don't want us to serve you, we don't want to serve you, sir, you can leave, and refuse to serve him. I had a coworker at another fast food restaurant while I was in college threaten me physically and tell me that he was ashamed for my father that we shared a name. I went on a delivery. I came back and my manager had already fired him and forced him out of the building. What I'm wondering is why is it that in a professional situation, 22 years later, we get no support and we all sit and watch it happen and think, oh, I guess this is just how it is. That's what really disturbs me. And in this particular case, it's now not just the teachers, but we had students, ex-students, students who just graduated being doxxed online. And we're still not having anyone say this is inappropriate. That was my frustration as well. This past fall in my district, um, our middle school choir teacher posted uh, like, getting the classroom ready, can't wait to see students, and hanging up, she had put up a pride flag and a Black Lives Matter flag. And then that went viral in our community. And the comments were so horrible. And then my GSA students were like emailing me all hours of the night, 
how I can't go back to school. Like these are, cause you know, they small community, they can mm-hmm. tell by the last name, they know whose mom that was. And it, you know, the rhetoric goes from just kind of generic nasty to threatening real quick. And these are kids, you know? So again, it's also not just, oh, some adults and some teachers and some administrators, these parents don't think about the impact that they're having Mm. on these kids who have to go to school with the person who wrote the post. They have children, you know, it's like, it's all interspersed. And I mean, these kids, 14, 15, 16, they're not equipped, nor should they have to be, Mm -hmm. nor should they have to at school. That was to me where I felt really conflicted between like, I don't want to do this anymore, but how Mm -hmm. do I leave? Because you have the kids. It's abused wife syndrome, right? I have to stay in this horrible scenario because I have children. Yeah. The Matthew Shepard Project's data for this year uh, included national politics and 95% of LGBTQ kids said that national politics made their lives harder. 70% said they were consistently miserable at school. We are, I think all of us know the suicide rates, all of us know the depression rates, but those two numbers are really indicative of what we're doing to kids. We're, we're allowing protection under whether you want to call it religious liberty or political liberty of grown adults to attack children. That's what I never understood is why is the instinct from administrators, their fear seems to be that they don't want to upset the angry mob further. Mm-hmm. So they either because- give in or kind of quietly hold back because, well, we can't, but like here you have this pool of victims mm-hmm. that you're completely ignoring. That's an easy answer. You got to follow the money. Okay. In the end, it is the parents who pay the salaries of the administrators, of the teachers. It's property tax, okay? If parents are pissed off enough about something, they can vote out the Board of Ed. They can get rid of the superintendent. They have a, a lot of clout. I mean, having worked on negotiations and, and I, you know, you, I mean, you're a union person. You, the parents do have a lot to say. And unfortunately, sometimes the administration has no balls mm-hmm. <laughs> to put it mildly. Oh, yeah. and, you well, know, and, I think they agree with it. So they, or just, they, yeah, they I step mean, back and mm-hmm. let it happen. Yeah. I mean, I have to say in the district in which I, I worked, I don't think, you know, I have plenty of negative things to say about my administration, but this is not one of them. I mm-hmm. think that they were, that they were actually a pretty balanced administration when it came to this kind of thing. However, there were plenty of parents in the town in which I taught that would be those people who would go into the McDonald's and say, don't you touch my food, Mm -hmm. you know? So the admin had to walk a pretty, it was a a pretty tight ropey situation. And and I have to say, I thought they actually did a fairly decent job. It's probably one of the few areas that they did, but they, they did handle it pretty well, but yeah, parents, they're, they're the bosses in the end. They, when they, when they say to you, I pay your salary, they do. Yeah. And I, I think another issue is, well, even when we say parents, like, do I think the majority of the parents in my district, for example, would want what happens to these kids or to us to happen? I do not. But yeah. I think the ones who are loud are so loud that their administrators and now I'm generalizing it. Every, a lot of rural places in the South are terrified 
And I see the standards slipping every year for what mm-hmm. we're willing to put up with. Once I see teachers being asked to replace assignments because a parent doesn't want their kid reading something by a black person or by a gay person, this is when I know like we are slipping into dangerous territory and those things are happening. And I've refused to do it. Most of my colleagues refuse to do it. So what is the response to tell us uh, as they did this year, teach nothing racial. Uh, okay. Yeah. So let's just, what one, I, I can't, for I can't pretend to know what that means. I asked, what does that mean? <laughs> of course, they weren't ready to answer that question, but I think we all know what it means. And again, that's, that's, oh, yeah. that's the way these cuts work, right? We will never directly say what we're thinking, but we all know what they're thinking. Well, and that's the problem is these conversations of equality have become political. I mean, they're not, but they've become sort of labeled as that. So now all of a sudden, anything you want to talk about, you know, that has to do with humanity. Oh, now that's political. Everything's political. Everything is. And yes, and that, that gives admin a huge out too, because since the dawn of time, we've all known you, you can't do anything political, but now all of a sudden everything, they just lump under that category so that they can just say, well, just, just don't do that. And and the other thing is too, like, and then you have like a, a blue state, like I'm in where, they're going in the opposite way and say, okay, well, you have to talk about, you know, I mean, we always did Black History Month. Now it's Hispanic History Month and women's history and, and like LGBTQ and, and climate change. Everything has to be in every subject. I was like talking mm-hmm. to a friend of mine about this the other day, but it's it's kind of lip service. It's not mm-hmm. really like we're not really going to dive in and say, okay, let's really talk about this. It's, you know, every subject. I'm like, I was a math teacher. What? what am I doing? I'm doing word problems about this. Like, you know, what, what it's, you know, and again, it's, it's satisfying that itch to say, well, we don't do that. We allow that in our state. And that's Mm -hmm. great. I'm glad that we do, but it's still perfunctory. It's still very just surface. Mm -hmm. Well, that's like my district had a Holocaust survivor come and speak, which was incredible. But also I just sat there and thought like, does no one else feel the irony of this? You know, like, the amount of bullying and hate speech mm-hmm. that's going unchecked in this district while we all sit here and pretend we're so cultured. Mm-hmm. There were no conversations that connected for the kids that what led to that in today's mm-hmm. world. That was just a piece of history. Because anything viewed connected to today's world in certain places cannot be talked about. I had a, a colleague who it, they were looking at gender roles but what they were it was of women versus men in the 1600s like what were the roles uh, because they were looking at a book not written in the united states and the teacher was sort of prepping them that at different time periods or in different cultures the expectations for men and women might be different kid you not someone suggested that this was teaching transgenderism and wanted a an alternative assignment and in another case a masculine looking woman giving a ted talk was challenged as transgenderism even though this was a non-trans woman giving a ted talk oh my god wow i mean it, it would be funny and that's but it's not funny yeah so many levels yeah ignorance has always existed and will always exist but in 2022 ignorance reigns and is given the biggest platform and is treated as if it is somehow holy thinking yeah. As opposed to holy thinking. Mm-hmm. So what was the reaction of the students when they found out that you were, that you had resigned? 
varied. Well, the first first response was one of my colleagues, love his heart, who within 20 seconds said, do you know who's getting your classroom? Glad to be in the classroom. <laughs> but he also, Classic. he knew this was coming. But the, the other response was of teachers saying, is open light okay? Who's going to take it? I have mm-hmm. three different teachers wanting it. So I know that the kids are going to have a place where, the, where they can be safe. Okay. I've had one kid wrote simply, I'm so proud of you for crawling out of that hell hole. <laughs> that was like <laughs> there you a, go. a previous student I particularly <laughs> like that. And I, I've had lots of uh, students say very nice things. I've had lots of students say nice things that were also sad about having wanted to take my class or uh, wanting to, to be there. But I think mm-hmm. what I've, and what I've tried to respond to all of them too, is my goal has always been to, like I said, look at what's in front of me and say, where's the potential? And so I think maybe I've got to hold a mirror up for a second. You know, what is the potential if I'm in this classroom versus other spaces? So mm-hmm. that's my goal in the short term is to get either a PhD or an EDD, an educational policy, to definitely amp up my advocacy. In the meantime, I started working with the American Federation of Teachers. I've been working with them for a year. Randy Weingarten, uh, the president, is wonderful. She's a New Yorker who has been doing this her whole life. And so mm-hmm. she invited me to be a part of a task force to help LGBTQ teachers and students across the country and has completely supported the idea of me starting something similar in Kentucky, where we hope to do some training for LGBTQ teachers in terms of not only what their rights are and their responsibilities are, but also to start looking at ways to take stock of these thousand cuts, to start finding ways to compare the response to you versus the response to someone else. Because if you get a different response, that another teacher is getting for the same behavior that's actionable. These aren't Mm -hmm. just, oh, I wish I could prove it. We can actually prove it and we've got to start one, looking at how we can create a language for that. And then two, helping teachers understand how to report this sort of abuse more effectively, because I think we tend to start at the district. And if the district is doing it to you, what happens? Nothing happens, right? Right. We can start at the state. Okay. Are any of the work that you're doing with those larger groups also kind of addressing the intersexuality, the intersectionality of like gender and race, especially with CRT going on and our colleagues of color who are seeing these same things? Are those conversations happening as well? Yeah, luckily there. So there are multiple task forces and they all inform each other and just talk to each other and send representatives to each other. Obviously, if you have a task force of LGBTQ people, you're going to also have LGBTQ people of color, and you're going to have people from various locations. It, it's sweet and sad, but we were talking about, so there was sort of like a line of Californians, a line of people from New York City, and then just there was actually one person from Michigan, one from Texas, and me, because a lot of the Southerners and Midwesterners had COVID during the first meeting. Huh. But we were kind of talking in general about issues, and... What I found interesting is that one of the first things someone from a more liberal state said was, we want to make sure that our professional development is more inclusive of various trans voices. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to imagine that the first thing I come up with as a Kentuckian, that our professional development isn't diverse enough 
in terms of his trans voices, as if there's a single professional development I've ever been asked to watch with any trans voice that I know of. Right. <laughs> Although a, I, an organization in Kentucky has reached out and wants to create that professional development this year. So we're, we're, we're catching up. Um, you testified before a House subcommittee. I sure did. Tell us all. <laughs> that was the weirdest thing I've ever done. I have no idea how that happened. So I had that one tweet go viral, like I said. And then the mm-hmm. next day, someone, I don't think I responded for like three days. <laughs> and when I responded and just thanked people for, for being so kind and considerate, because I did read a few messages and they were all so kind and sweet. Someone messages like, hey, contact me. And I look at them like, dude, you have 12 followers. I don't know who you are. Wait, was it Yo Miss where she asked you to be on a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I would have responded, yeah. Flip Flippin didn't respond to me, but Willie did. Uh, Flip Flippin. uh, Go ahead. (laughs) So after like the third time of me noticing this person, I responded. And it was someone trying to get into contact with me about this House subcommittee. And so through some paper, prove that you're real uh, interactions, I did uh, get a hold of them and was invited, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I had no clue what was happening just, just because it was so big. I, I looked up the previous committee meeting and Ruby Bridges was there. And I'm like, I'm supposed to follow Ruby Bridges. And I watched her testify and they cut her off and stopped her. And I'm like, I have to testify in front of people who just told Ruby Bridges to stop talking. I would rather tell my grandmother to shut up than <laughs> tell Ruby Bridges. Uh, and I would never do that in a million years. So um, it, I'll, I'll, this is the part I think that really matters to me. I went, I spoke in Louisville at the... Ed Rising Conference in maybe January or February. It was one of the first things I did this year as Teacher of the Year. And one of the things that one of my kids said early on when they found out I was Teacher of the Year, because I think I found out in like September, would it be cool if like everywhere you went, you said you were gay? And they were like, because that world could never exist. And I was like, I promise you I'll do that everywhere I go, everywhere. Because they can't Mm -hmm. even say these things in class sometimes. So... I began my speech by saying I'm the 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year. I'm gay, I'm Appalachian, and I'm proud of both of these things. And that sort of fed into the speech. So a young high school student who identified as trans came up to me and just handed me a really sweet little drawing of two eyes, two colorful eyes. And under it was written, thank you for speaking. And I got to speak to that student very briefly. And the student said, I've never heard anyone say these things out loud from where I'm from. And I got to hear from a lot of students that day about some of the issues they faced. So the day of, I think I had six or seven lawyers (laughs) the morning of who kind of met with me to go over things. And I open up my folder so that I can take notes. And I had absentmindedly stuck that little piece of paper in there. And I was nervous until I saw it. And like immediately all the nerves were gone. Thank you for Mm -hmm. speaking. Because suddenly it meant so much more. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, this is going to be easy. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to speak and I'm just going to tell the story of my students as best as I possibly can. And that was it. Wow. Did, did they interrupt you? Yes. I did, uh, they did not interrupt me because I, <laughs> I like, was like, 
to my husband, if I change LGBTQ to queer, I can save a quarter of a second and I say it 12 times. And I was terrified <laughs> of going over five minutes. But they did not interrupt me during that part of this. No, Ruby Bridges must would be annoyed if she heard that. <laughs> well, what I think is great is that the first thing Raskin said after was, first question, if you had been allowed to continue speaking, what would you have said? So that she could finish her speech, which was nice. I love Jamie Raskin. I, I do too. I just, I'm, I'm, One of the things that doesn't come across when you watch proceedings is that he laughs a lot mm-hmm. and multiple times sort of does, he does this because sometimes he's <laughs> laughing when he shouldn't be laughing. Uh, there you go. I, I like knowing that. Yeah. That's, that, that's yeah. good to know. I will. I so. probably should be more respectful and remember the name of the person who was beside of him representing the other side, but I do not. Um, didn't care to oh, <laughs> whoever okay. she was, but Name, um, nameless person who cares about yeah, you, <laughs> whoever whoever that senator was. But she was supposed to be talking about the censorship of LGBTQ Black and Brown people in schools. Instead, all she wanted to talk about was losses during COVID, because you know hmm. it's teachers' fault, right? Evidently, yeah. I, I caused it. I caused COVID. There, you all can put that out there. But I mean, literally, of course, this was the question I was asked. Mr. Carver, what do you think matters more, teaching, reading, or pronouns? And my first thought, my first thought was pronouns are a part of reading. So I said, (laughs) pronouns are a part of reading. (laughs) (laughs) And this is when Raskin starts laughing and like puts his head down. But I don't even think I meant it as facetiously as it came out. I I was thinking about reading until I hear the word pronouns. I'm like, I think it's somewhere uh, it's registering. She's talking about trans people, but that was not how I heard it. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. It's probably the same person who asked uh, the new Supreme Court justice. You know, d- can, can you define what a woman is? You know, or like oh, yeah. if only she had like said, "Your poets have tried to do it for the ages." <laughs> <laughs> she I, uh, just watching her yeah, was uh-huh. like she she's just like trying to stay you know she was very cool but you could tell that in her head she's going are you people kidding a master class employees when you're surrounded by idiots yeah oh yeah she was amazing i would have definitely said but yeah to be inside her internal thoughts would have been something i would have said i believe kenny chesney said it best when he said (laughs) (laughs) why yoko said Barry Manilow often <laughs> said, <laughs> throw, "Throw that in there." So oh speaking my of gosh. Mandy, Barry really. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, that is quite a story. So now you were at the University of mm-hmm. Kentucky. Yes. Okay, so you can go on with your education and also work and do yeah. all that. Uh, and I'm so excited! Uh, it's it's such a great school. They are years ahead of everyone else and not paying lip service, but doing what really needs to be done about honoring spaces, honoring all students, really finding ways to lift students' voices and let students be heard in every way imaginable. So uh, just Friday, for example, outside of Appalachia, this might not mean a whole lot, but there was an email about them wanting to record lots of voices saying something like, this is my UK or this is my university. But in Kentucky, that means a lot because there are a lot of accents and voices that don't get to be heard very often. So they're really thinking about it all. They're really putting forth effort to, to be kind. And I love that. Awesome. Cool. Did you get any sort of uh, blowback from the Department of Ed or whoever is in charge of Teacher of the Year or any of that? Only for 
the commissioner to tell me not not specifically about this this moment, but just in general that he's proud of me and the work that I've done. The Kentucky Department of Education for the first time this year released um, resources to help teachers help their LGBTQ students. They this is a department that is really having to fight the good fight when it's not easy, and I could not be more proud to work for the Department of Education. I think that's a, a good place for us to to stop. So. Thank you so much, but you're yeah. not off the hook yet. <laughs> but thank you so much, thank Willie. You. That was really it's quite a story. Disturbing and upsetting and Inspiring. wonderful all, <laughs> all at the same time. Yeah. All right. Me. It is time for us to do pop quiz where we ask you a usually fairly dumb question, but a fun question. We will ask two and we will answer them as well. And we have Scotty, our engineer, also uh, chimes in. So, Miss V, it is your turn to go first. So, go first. (laughs) So, I'm curious if you could instantly become an expert at anything, what would it be? You would. Am I supposed to go first? I don't know who the you was. It doesn't matter. Yes, you are. No, you are. (laughs) I wish I had a profound answer. If you need time to think, we can talk amongst ourselves. Right. We can. You can have a lot of time, and we can just like you know edit out the time that it's (laughs) woodworking. I wish I could build shelves and anything furniture. I've watched Kevin Daly. He's the Kentucky Milken Award winner. And life isn't fair because not only is he articulate and kind and unnecessarily handsome, he also like builds wooden things all the time. <laughs> and I would kill for the ability to build a shelf. Wow. Yeah, very cool. Mine is two, but they're related. I okay. would like to be an expert of, at singing and dancing. Because okay. I love to do both of those and I have no rhythm. Maybe I need to be an expert in having rhythm and then the rest could just follow. Okay. Um, for me, I'd love to be an expert cook, like a chef. But you are, honey. No, no, no I'm not. <laughs> I would love to be. For Miss, you know, Mrs. Was it her birthday or Valentine's Day or something? It was Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. I did a um, duck orange with like the whole, whole thing. It's it's just fun, and I like to eat it. So you know that's part of it too. Yeah, I would like to be fluent in another language. I oh, I re- I grew up with two parents who were fluent in addition to English. My mother was fluent in three other languages. My father was fluent in four. Um, it did not rub off on my brother or I, and and I just I always have felt that I should know another language and I'd really would like to be not just learn it you know do Duolingo or whatever but I'd like to be able to just speak and and it's yeah. I, it's no specific language like sometimes I think Spanish sometimes when I was teaching I wanted to learn Portuguese because my district had a lot of Portuguese and Brazilian students doesn't no particular language just that's what I would like my expertise to be in so okay all right well well my question is sillier than that. All right. So y'all are familiar with the seven dwarfs, right? Dopey, etc. Dopey, sneezy, happy, grumpy. I wrote them down. Dopey, sneezy, happy, grumpy, doc, bashful, and sleepy. If you had to identify yourself as a dwarf that is not already created by Disney, oh, what would it be? I was be? already trying to pick of the seven. No, no, no. That's way too easy. No, no, no. <laughs> What would your dwarf name be? You don't have to go first, Willie. It's okay. 
Whoever has an answer. Well, first, uh, you know, there's already a grumpy. Right. <laughs> so you can't be grumpy. But maybe, can I be grouchy? I suppose. Yes. <laughs> I think that that would probably fit you. I, I Because I had the question, I came up with an answer for myself. So I would like to be angsty. I think I am the perfect <laughs> angsty dwarf. <laughs> I think I would be bossy. Because I think Fair. things work the best when they go my way. And I'm happy to tell you that way, the correct way, <laughs> all the time. I'm, I'm happy to be in charge all the time. <laughs> I have something in my kitchen about that. It's like, I have to, I don't know exactly what it says, but it's basically it says like, I'm bossy because I'm smarter than everybody kind of thing. But it's it's written much more you know cute than that. Like all right, it. Willie, what kind uh, of, what's your dwarf name? I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to be gay-spiration-y dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The, uh, <laughs> there are all of the things that I care about, whether it's foreign language, whether it's Appalachian identity, whether it's just kindness. At the end of the day, I think the lessons I've learned that, that I first grappled with as a young person coming out sort of inform my worldview. And I tend to get emotional and inspiration-y by accident. So uh, gay-spiration-y. All right. Well, <laughs> when, when, when Disney does Snow White 2, we're ready. Just to let you know, <laughs> the quote is, I'm not bossy. I just know what you should be doing. That's, That's yeah. perfect. All right. I'll I'll send it to you. I'll, I'll, find, <laughs> I'll find it again at, uh, at Bed Bath & Beyond or wherever I got it. Ah, uh, yes. I saw it and I was like, yep, that's me. I got it. So my family all groaned and said, oh, she's proud of herself for that. Well, <laughs> all right. Willie, thank you again for coming yeah, on. Thank we, you so much. You know, it's, you are, it really has been a pleasure. It was so fun. We may just have to have you back on and get part two. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you for letting me tell my story. And I really appreciate it. Nice to meet everybody. Yes. Nice to see you. Okay, here we go. So thanks to Max Siskind of Max and Max in the morning for our intro. And thanks to Elaine Eckert for our artwork. Thank you to Grouchy for making (laughs) us sound fabulous and competent. (laughs) Thanks. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you like what we're doing here on the show, there are are multiple ways you can help. First, spread the word about our show. Tell your friends, your enemies, your frenemies. Share us on social media and with your teacher and non-teacher friends alike. Second, please leave us a review and a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to hear from you. You can find us all over social media. Our contact information is in the episode notes. And thank you all for listening. And don't forget, floors are being waxed the first week of August. So you cannot come back, come and unpack your rooms until the floors have been waxed. See ya. Bye. Bye.